Welcome to the Self Starter Show. I'm your host, Steve Clare, and on this show, you're gonna be hearing from entrepreneurs. You're gonna hear about their wins that got them where they are, their losses, and everything in between, as well as the advice that they have that helped them along the way. Along with bonus solo episodes of my personal secrets of life, success, and empathy sprinkled in for you, the listener, like chapters of a great book, each episode will provide you with a bit of a cheat code to success and happiness. Our guest today is Kwame Darko. Kwame is a branding genius, a branding genius with over a decade in the business in brand marketing. He has also started his own wine company, his wine company, which is grapes out of Portugal. Yep. Source from Portugal. Source from Portugal, which he originally fell into while playing professional soccer overseas in Portugal, moved back to the U.S. And this, while branding is his thing, was actually his his passion project that has now become more of life. Should we because it's not from that. Ah, I love when I do that. Ah. I, I love when I do that. When I think I know and I throw it, I, that happens not all the time, but it's happened yeah. before. So what's the origin? So the origin is uh, my good friend growing up and name Daniel Orson. So okay. good friend, um, business partner as well. Um, he lived in Portugal. His wife is Portuguese. They started their own brand where they were sourcing grapes from Portugal and kind of in my kind of beginnings of creating it. Um, you know, that was kind of the easiest way and the, the not the buried entry, but the easiest entry way into wine. Was it always going to be Darko wine? From a branding standpoint, yes, it was easy enough where his brand's name Orson and then my name's Darko. And I was like, let's take the Darko and then take the Orson O. Easy enough. That's awesome. Yeah. So is that what you're doing now? Is that 100 percent what you're doing now? Is that? 50% what you're doing now, give me your 100%. I say it's about 50-50. And what's the other, so Darko Wine is 50, what's the other 50? Brand partnership. So I work at a sports publisher, a sports media company, and I sell advertising um, across different platforms. So from the website to digital, um, social, influencers. What's your title there? Uh, director of Brand Partnerships. The director of Brand Partnerships. They don't just give that label out. They do sometimes. They do? <laughs> Did you just get it or you, you had to, no, I you, think you got I, there? Yeah, I think I got there. All right, so let's rewind. Yep. How'd you get into brand partnerships? Because the origin story from that will definitely lead into Darko Wines. Totally. So rewind, you are a D1 athlete, played soccer your whole life. Did you think you were gonna play soccer your, your entire life? Definitely thought I was. And, um, you know, through that collegiate process, you know, I. Tons of friends who were professionals, still professionals. Some have retired, played at the highest level. Um, you know, when you play at the University of Maryland, um, you know, was is regarded as almost the best team in the country or the best teams that I had played on in the country. Growing up in D.C., did you have a leg up to play in Maryland? I think I had a leg up because I was a local kid, but mm -hmm. my team just happened to also be the best team in the nation as well. So we were winning national championships and. They took about five of us from that one championship team, and we all decided to go as kind of a package deal to uh, to Maryland. That's awesome. Uh, do you see like the camaraderie from your playing days playing into everything that you've done since then? One hundred percent. I mean, I think mainly like relationships and the way that I attack everything I do. You know, I'm I'm a team player for sure. I'm competitive, team player, very loyal, and I think kind of that 
growth as a, as a soccer player and having friends and teammates along the way is kind of translated into other areas. So you go to Mar you're in the University of Maryland, you're playing soccer. What were you studying and how did you get into brand partnerships? Like you didn't, you don't just fall into brand partnerships. What was going What was going through your mind that turned you into that? Oh man, well, I studied economics um, at huh. Maryland. I have zero idea how I ended up graduating because it, it did get pretty tough. So um, you're a math guy. Sort of, see that's that's the- You have to be a math guy to do econ to, to do. major in economics, the, the, to even pass economics, yeah. you gotta kind of be a math guy. The curve helped a lot, um, but I was also really good with- you know, Is that the athlete curve? The theories. Yeah, it's all, the, I think it's the whole curve across the board because of that math component you mentioned. Um, no, but I was good with the theory. Again, supply, demand, you know, learning those different theories. Obviously, it's most basic, but um, the math, I would say, was like the, the most difficult part, getting into statistics and all the calc and, and whatnot. But, you know, you study the formulas and you learn the basics. Did being an athlete, like, make you have more interest in this or was it the opposite? No, economics, I think business is what I've, you know, I'd always been into it, um, always entrepreneurial, you know, was into music, was always selling things growing up as well. So just basic economics and the thought of, you know, pursuing a career in what would be economics made sense. And I never thought that in essence, I would be doing economics because, you know, with import export of wine, that's something that I do, but I never thought that I'd actually be utilizing it in its like truest form. Never thought, you know, somebody would say you were actually doing economical things in your right life. and but we're now like connecting the dots from your childhood when you grew up selling like what, News, what parents newspapers soccer cleats you know mixtapes everything that's amazing and you did that as a kid and then you went to college and then you have eight businesses in college um, I was doing music, so I was selling music and I was doing shows. So tell me more when you say doing music, because yeah. when I was in high, uh, middle school, I would make mixtapes. Yeah, and that's when like Napster came out. Yep. And I'll do like whatever it was a 12 to 15 track CD and I'll sell them for five bucks in school. Something like that. Or were you making your own music? Making my own music, making my own music and doing my own shows and throwing my own parties. Your own shows. Yeah, I was performing. Go on. Yeah. So. no. OK, so. I was a recording artist. Let's hear the story. I was a recording artist Give us a uh, year. for a time period. Um, what year was this? I started what in high school where I was recording music, right? And then in college, I got a, a bit more serious when I went out to LA um, to visit with Sony. Um, I learned that I could- When you went, you just throw when to go, when I when I went to visit with Sony, you just throw yeah. that out there. Like, throw it out there. Like it's, uh, I don't even know a comparison. Like to go, you just went out there to visit with Sony. So we're talking, it's like 2000, Four, 2003. I'd say starting in like 2002 all the way to, you know, 2000. How did you get 16. a call from Sony? So a girl on the uh, a girl on the women's team at Maryland, her father was the VP of A&R at Sony at the time. Everyone on campus and everyone knew that I was making music, that I, I guess I had, was pretty good at it as well. Um, I had a few friends that were playing for the LA Galaxy uh, in LA. So during our spring break, uh, that's when we had some time where I didn't have to actually practice and you know could get some time away. I asked if I could meet with her dad while I was also you know catching up with some of my boys. Uh, in her LA. dad, who happens to yeah. be a A exactly. and R Sony. Exactly. So yeah, he said sure. Listen to my music beforehand, and obviously as a favor to her being my home girl, he said cool, and he was pleasantly surprised. It wasn't just like who the hell am I listening to? This kid rapping and singing and shit. So. 
So what did you learn from that? Like, what uh, did you, you get out of it? Uh, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. You know, and that's something that you've held on for life. Yeah, definitely. So we get to college, we get an opportunity to go to Sony. You get shut down. Yep. Essentially. Essentially. Yep. Are you trying to? Are you trying to ride the music train? Or in your now it's what two thousand six about? Yeah. Are you like all right? I'm gonna. I'm going to play professional soccer, whether it's MLS or somewhere around the world, because for any athlete, soccer is probably the sport where you can play anywhere around the world yeah, and totally. actually get paid. Totally. So I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm going to make music. Yeah. That's my passion. Yeah. So, no, I, I kept going with music, actually. So the trip only kind of enhanced my passion. There we go. More uh, because I learned that instead of just performing, there was this other side of it, which was songwriting where you could get paid handsomely doing that. And it was also a way to, to continue making music um, outside of genres that you know might've just been mine. Did you learn that based on like a bit of advice that you had got from the guy at Sony? Totally. Yeah. You, do you remember what he said? He told me you don't have to be front and center. He's like, a lot of these big artists, they got their way into the industry by writing songs for other people. And you being one of the best soccer players in your town, in your city, who then went and played for one of the top five programs in the country, you probably didn't have a small ego. No, no. No, so you then making your own music that you want to perform for someone for someone so that you held at such high regard, that was probably uh, very humbling to hear. It was, and I, I mean, I guess I understood, like he named a whole bunch of artists who you know wrote for other people and named a bunch of the different songs that like, you didn't know that someone else wrote them, right? Again, I was never thinking in that capacity. Obviously, it's been a thing forever, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I just was never thinking that way. So 2006, it kickstarts that I don't need to be front and center. What are the next, what's the next year or two look like? Uh, I just keep continuing to write and I'm still performing. Uh, at the same time, again, I am in school playing soccer. So most of my time is devoted to that. But I think unlike a lot of other kids who were playing soccer, I was able to work on my passion outside of soccer. You know, a lot of the guys I played with, soccer was it. They, you know, that was it. During college, they didn't really take advantage of other opportunities and other passion points to really look into because they were just so focused on soccer and playing pro. You know, I was focused on pro, but also the music side of things. And luckily enough, I was able to see the entire process and I've been able to see the careers of players who are better than me or, you know, you know, subjectively better than me, um, seeing what their careers turned out. Did like. you think that me focusing on this music is going to hinder my passion towards just playing soccer? I think it exposed the lack of passion I had for soccer or the passion that was necessary to get to that level that I would want to be in. Like my goal with was soccer to, or music with soccer. You know, my goal was never to to play in the MLS, I wanted to play for Manchester United, right? My my goal was never to sit on the bench or play for a USL team. Not that there's any issue with that, right? Like USL, that's below MLS? Yeah, that's like the other American league. And okay. great leagues, all these are great things, right? Like not knocking any of that. It was just, I wanted to play for Manchester United. Once, you know, reality kind of set in and realizing like the true potential mixed with like my actual passion I then said, you know what, if I'm going to make it to the top, I, I can't make it to the top or where I'd want to be in soccer based on the passion that I have for it. Right. Did if, someone tell you that or did you figure that out for yourself? I figured that out myself. Right. You know, there's seven days of the week. 
if uh, the sport was maybe three days out of the week where you had to like play at your best, that might've been a different story, but like consistency was definitely a big issue. So, you know, three days out of the week, I could be as good as anybody. You put seven days where there's four more days of having to perform at a certain level. There's other players who, you know, I think were consistently playing at their best seven days out of the week. Whereas like you get amazing days for three days from me and then four days we'd be like, I have zero idea what Kwame's gonna do. So then what'd you do music wise when you figured out that soccer is not going to be your end all be all yeah because you're not looking to put 100 percent into it you want to put time into your music because right. you got the you got you had the clarity you had the you, your music was justified you met with someone from sony and he was like you're good but here's some advice yeah how'd that play out um again i kept performing because that's what i wanted to do right so i moved to new york that was like right go. when I was deciding whether or not I was going to play or not. I came to this crossroads and I was like, you know what? I want to pursue music more. So I said, forget soccer. Did uh, you start performing in uh, venues in New York? Yeah. Every venue you could, any, you could think of. All through Brooklyn, you know, I was doing, you know, everything on the Lower East Side. I was doing pianos, Arlene's Grocery, Music Hall, Williamsburg and Brooklyn. Um, you know, just any venue you could think of, I was performing. Can I find videos of you on YouTube? Definitely. Oh, my God. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I'm going down a rabbit hole tonight. Definitely. So um, do you have a favorite performance you ever did? Favorite performance um, with Big Sean at uh, Fillmore in D.C., Silver Spring. <laughs> Was there a big part of that being in your in your backyard? Definitely. Definitely. The marketing aspect, like the radio um, stations as well. They're looking for somebody from the area oh. who could have a big draw there yeah. as well. Um, and I luckily also knew the head of marketing for the Fillmore and Live Nation, so was able to kind of use that as well. That's amazing. So when uh, when did soccer fully stop for you? Um, in terms of me trying to be a professional, it stopped literally after my senior season ended. Right? You know, you have I, I got an agent. Were you right? set? It was a, an identity shift, right? In some capacity, because I've always been the the soccer player. Right. And then you're always playing. And I think, you know, it, it, I was I was burnt out, I think, a bit. And I was also ready to just like continue moving forward with whatever. Do you think you would have got burnt out if you weren't doing music? If you were just soccer, 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 do you think you would have got burnt out? Um, I think music became a thing because I was already burnt out or because I already was passionate about something else. Or again, I, as I mentioned, I realized that like my passion wasn't where it needed to be to get to that other level. So I, I allowed other things to get in the way of it, I think. Okay. So you leave that behind. You moved to New York. Moved to New York. In 2008? 2011. 2011. What's your family's take? When you're moving from D.C. where you grew up, yeah. went to school, well, not school in D.C., Maryland, you go to, you've been there your whole life and now you want to move up to New York. Yeah. What's the reaction from the family? My mom was, was all about it. She was, you know, scared for you know her kid to move to New York or whatever, but I had a good setup. You know, I had two of uh, my closest friends who were already living in Brooklyn. I moved in with them. Um, you know, I found a job at CBS Radio, which was kind of the beginning of the um my world into like brand partnerships and, and advertising so what was your role there you remember? i was i started off as an account manager 
Okay. And what I was doing was I was teaching um, senior radio sales reps how to sell digital because they were all kind of just very focused on. Were radio. they like boomers who didn't know how to sell the digital product? Definitely. That's that's exactly what it was. Yeah. So how long were you there, and how did that start to now mold? Yeah. The branding genius. So I was are. there for t t t t three years, I believe. And so I was an account manager there where I was kind of helping with proposals and teaching them the ins and outs of digital. Pretty quickly, they were like, Kwame, instead of you teaching, like, why don't you just sell? And, you know, from that point, I got into selling. Um, and I was selling, again, all the different properties they owned and operated to a bunch of different local brands across New York. Um, but you kind of saw that there was going to be an end in sight like this. It wasn't an end all be all for you. No, I still was working on music. That, like that's I went to do music. I luckily got into a music specific company. So I was still around music and I learned about music promotion and music marketing. And, you know, I was always running into different artists and, you know, they allowed me to go on tour and were, were very, um, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. So it was good. That's so awesome. Yeah. So I got to say it. And then what? Like, oh, man. So, I mean, it's, it's a grind. Like, I still kept working on music, uh, music, music, music and working. Um, have and you put a have you put out an album at this point? Like, yeah, I had what, like what some you, singles. Like, you're saying music now. Yeah. You're 10 years in the music game. What's the do you set goals? Is there a three yeah. month goal, a six month goal? Yeah. How does that work? Are so, you able to were you able to monetize it yet? No, the, I hadn't monetized it yet, but I would soon after that. But, um, you know, well, shows I was monetizing, but again, not to the amount that would, you know, anything substantial. Right. Right. So coming out with singles, EPs, albums, was touring and doing shows. Um, so is the end goal for that to be noticed and to get signed? To get, Yeah. To get noticed and to get signed was definitely. And then an album goal. and then a, a record company pays you to put out an album. Exactly. So that was definitely the goal. Um, and then I kept, so what happened is I kept working on my music and then I, and I went on to other media companies as well. So I went to spin media. So another music specific place, yep. um, where I was doing like ad operations and sales there. I've been at town square media, which has like double XL magazine, other places. And I'm selling it this whole time while I'm still working on music. I'm learning about like the music industry, marketing. Are you content. trying to plug your, well, not are you, mm -hmm. I'm sure you are. How are you trying to plug your music into these media companies that you're working at? It happened pretty organically, right? Because huh. I had the support. Organically. I, yeah, yeah, right? I, I mean, I had the support of, yeah. of everyone that I worked there. They were all trying to see me, you know, shine and, and do my music. So, you know, I luckily had gotten to a point where I came out with this one song called Bet They See Me Now that was getting played in like most MLS stadiums and was getting some different like sync things. Um, there was this one funny thing that really kind of broke it out. Um, uh, an article came out saying that I was dating Hope Solo, the uh, the soccer player. And that kind of just like... How old it, is Hope Solo? I don't know. I feel like I she's... 30s, 30s, 40s, like she's, 30s. No, I, thought, I yeah. feel like she's much older than... No? No. Nah, nah. She's around our age? She's around our age, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right. But yeah, like, a, 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 they just... Can want, I ask you something? Yeah. Have you ever hooked up with Hope Solo? No, no? I 100% not. No. Were you guys like hanging out ever? So that was no. Ah! That was that was the funny story about it. Um, <laughs> was that they had just won the Olympics. Um, a few of my friends um, who were playing soccer at the time in the MLS, and they all had the same agent. Um, we got invited to go out with them. So I was with my buddies, and a 
obviously the, the, the women who won the Olympics, they were out as well. I took a, a literally a random picture. Um, with with her, Hope Solo. Yeah, with her, with her gold medal. Um, I, on Twitter, you know, I tweeted, I was like, with my boo, Hope Solo, right? As like a very sarcastic thing that then got like totally flipped. I once posted a picture <laughs> like that with me and Selena Gomez. Oh yeah, didn't have didn't the same flip, effect. Didn't flip. Didn't have the no. same effect at all. No, didn't flip. I think um, and like somebody like ran with it the picture because it like <laughs> it made sense because like I was quote unquote like a rapper at the time and she I guess had a history rapper like, with like a soccer background. Yeah, some, yeah. So I think uh, somebody spun that out of of a proportion and so that was by no means like anything going on with me and her. But that <laughs> that picked up a nice little media storm. Um, which was fun at the time. Listen, um, any press is good press, kind of. Yeah. So exactly right. So it, and things could be a lot worse, I guess, uh, than that press. So uh, yeah, so that happened. The song continued to grow a bit. Um, again, me as a performer myself, I was still going on tour, but like, you know, nothing was really evolving the way in which I wanted to. Right. Like at this point, are you monetizing yet? Yeah, I'm monetizing a little bit, but it's, how? It's through again the shows that I'm doing. Okay. Um, so one offs. Yeah, one offs. It's not like things, a, yeah. like daily uh, daily listens or something yeah, like that. No, because like, again, yeah, I'm still I'm still working. Um, I think streaming. Yeah, streaming definitely came in at this point, but I didn't have enough streams right. where you know, I was going to make anything. I don't, I don't think any artists still no. have enough streams where they're making anything. Um, but yeah, that was that's what I kept doing. I was still working as well and i was still building up my credentials and resume in the media space and i was starting to make legitimate money working in media and i was looking you know at like the numbers with like music looking at the numbers with what i'm work making with like media and, and selling stuff and i'm like wait something's not adding up the same way or like am i crazy for like trying to continue to pursue music or is like i'm actually really good at you know sales and advertising yeah. or whatever it is and you know, instead of fighting it, is it like, is this something that I actually like and can continue to do while trying to work on music? Um, and, you know, music then, I think I'm trying to figure out what it, it then kind of became more of a hobby, except the exception of songwriting on the back end. So then I started writing for, for TV shows and networks. So I think when I got my first writing music or writing, writing music, scripts, lyrics. Lyrics. So okay. lyrics and helping with like the production of songs. So I think when that opportunity arose with Showtime. Um, I'm assuming you got that opportunity from someone in your network. Definitely. 100%. A guy that I worked with who I made, I recorded my first song with that I ever released from a producer. His name's Alex Krezovich, um, a producer of the show that music supervisor that handles all the music, hit him up asking for which show. It was uh, Hoops U Road to March Madness. So it was okay. like a documentary that was highlighting, actually, funnily enough, uh, Maryland and Notre Dame going into to March Madness. Um, so it was perfect. And it was like, I was. When it makes sense, it makes sense. Yeah. So he had hit up um, my friend Alex asking if there was any like rapper um, that he knew of <laughs> in New York. Funny you ask. Right? <laughs> I got a guy from Maryland yep. who actually yeah. is a rapper, writes music. Yeah. You're going to love him. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, I got the opportunity to go do that. I, I crushed it when I went to go record. And, you know, this is something I had never heard of in the music industry. Like, in, in my career at the time, obviously it's a thing, but somebody was like, hey, come to the studio, I'll give you X amount of money just to, to come. And I was like, so you're, I'm getting paid to go to the studio, right? And if it doesn't work out, I still get paid. He's like, of 
course. Wait, so you going to the studio to record? Yeah, with him. Yeah, for the Showtime thing, because this is when they were like, okay. Oh, like, so you so weren't just writing it, you were performing I it. I wrote and performed it, yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, so I got to go write and Did perform it make it, it in? Yeah, made it in. So uh-huh. in addition to getting paid to go to the studio, um, it got picked up. So then I got paid on top of that as a, a fee for that. And then I still get royalties to this day. That's amazing. That. Mailbox money. Yeah. So I think once I saw that, right, like my own music was is subjective, right? And you're putting all this marketing into it. You're hustling, you're grinding, and you don't know if you're going to make anything off of it, right? I do this songwriting stuff and it was like guaranteed money. And I was like, wait, 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 this is what the guy at Sony was talking about in terms of like a career in writing and performing it where it's for something specific versus like my own album or something like it was a song, the main title theme specific to the show. So that's when the kind of a light bulb went off of like, you know, I'm getting a little bit older at this time too. like, do you like touring? You start asking more questions and it's like, I crushed that. Like, is it easy for me to do this? Is it something I have a knack for? Am I a better writer with a brief or am I better at like being my own artist? And obviously over time, it's definitely turned into. And at this point you're in your mid late twenties. So like you're evolving and like, everything's like coming together and your passions are coming together and your skill sets that aren't even connected to your passions are coming together. Yeah. It's awesome. Was that the only, uh, opportunity that you had with Showtime? Uh, no, I've had other opportunities. I've written for, well, for Showtime. For Showtime, I think that's the only one. But through this one producer, I've gotten other opportunities where I've, you know, wrote the title theme for the National Basketball League in Australia. I've done, you know, different production things and across like CBS shows. Um, yeah, I've gotten tons of opportunities and I've written a bunch of things and Sometimes it gets placed, other times it doesn't, but like- But you get paid regardless. Yeah, and I still do this to this day, you know? Whew, man of many hats. And one theme that I constantly hear is network, network, network. You are a man who uses his network a lot. Yeah. So now you're you're at spin. Spin. You're growing. Yep. And then what? Bounced around. from media company as that's what happens in that that industry right you you go from kind of company to company selling um across different platforms right i think the biggest shift that i had had was when i went to gimlet media which is the podcast company um that got acquired by spotify uh i was a director of brand partnerships there selling across all the different podcasts so in different shows but then also helping brands create their own podcasts um, you know, that was when podcasts were like the shiny new toy, like when they were really just starting out. Yeah, this is like what the mid, like the like twenty sixteen ish. Yeah, something like that. What did you do at Gimlet? So I sold ads across all the shows that uh, they created, but then I also uh, from Spin to Gimlet was that a? It wasn't Spin to Gimlet. It was there's the, there was a few others in between there. So I think it went it went. How many jobs did you have? I, I, ton. My resume. How many companies <laughs> have you worked at? From 2010 to 2020, how many companies did you work at? I'd say probably six or seven. Now, was it because you just got fed up? Or was it because you were getting offered better roles? Like, yeah, well, it's how, a, a mixture. How, what? A mixture, I think. Were you learning in every place? Or is it slow? Yeah. did you kind of get like burnt out mm-hmm. because you weren't learning enough? I think it's a mixture, right? Especially in, in this industry, there's like, there's times where like you cap out 
right? Where say you were selling and they just increase your goals to a certain level where you Which I fucking hate that. (laughs) I hate that. With me, I love to set realistic goals that are super achievable. Super achievable. Not that you're gonna, you know, let's say it's a quarterly goal and it's something that you're easily gonna achieve in the first four Mm -hmm. weeks, but something that you should by week nine, 10, Mm be able to achieve. So like you're working towards it, you can get there and it's not something that's hard because when you make hard goals, it makes people very unmotivated because it makes most people think and a lot of managers, they think that if they give people the super hard goal, they're gonna work harder. Instead, Mm -hmm. it's gonna be the opposite effect because most people, and I'm gonna say as much as 80 to 90% of people see these inflated goals as unattainable so they don't work harder. They mm. instead say, I'm not going to be here that long. Totally. So I'm going to work to get my paycheck. Hopefully I could meet this goal. It's going to have it's going to come on like one big deal that hopefully closes. And if I don't, then shit, then it's a, I'll go to a different media company yeah. because this one's not yeah. being run properly. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's a mixture. I think similar it's, to that. Yeah, similar to that. 100 percent similar to that. So it's it's yeah, the goal thing. Uh, it's salary thing. It's getting along with. When you played soccer, thing. did you have goals? Did we have goals? I mean, we had that. Team. That actually, yeah, that, yeah. that's kind of punny. Yeah, right. Funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, we. Had, I mean, we had team goals for yeah. sure. Um, like, did you have like a season goal? I want to have X amount of assists, X amount of yellow cards, X amount of goals. No, I mean, playing at Maryland, it was like I just want to like make sure I'm playing in as many games as possible and competing with like the best. And I played in the back, so I played defense, um, outside back. So obviously, we'd want shutouts and clean sheets. But you know, at the time for me specifically and kind of my positioning within the team, it was like I want to make sure I'm being featured in or playing in as many games as possible. Right? Clean like, sheets is part of the goal. Uh, as a as a defender, as most defenders, that that's a, a part of the goal. Okay. But I would say like my own individual goals was like you know I want to make sure that I'm competing and playing as much as possible because there's times when you're you're on the bench, times when you're starting, times when you're playing a couple minutes, and at a competitive program like Maryland, um, you know unless you're like one of the superstars, which there are many of them who are, um, you know my goal was making sure that I was maintaining and and, and being competitive. Like I wasn't the superstar making sure that I was like getting the golden boot or that I was going number one in the draft. Right. Like, mm-hmm. But the realities were that like, yeah, I'm a guy who's competing, who wants to be starting, wants to be playing consistently, whatever that means. Yeah. Of course. So speaking on speak on playing consistently, you went from company A to B to C to D to E to Z. Yeah. To Z. <laughs> and now What's the what was the final media company that you made it to? Mm. I know you're at one three seven. Yeah. How long were you one three seven? Where were you before that? What was your what was your vibe oh, there? Man. So one thirty seven is part of a gallery media group. So I was at gallery media group that is under the Vayner X um, portfolio, um, which Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. And how long ago was that? This was about two years ago. Okay. Two years ago, year and now. how new, how new was it when you were there? It was uh, it's a relatively new media the, platform, right? Yeah, the the entity itself is Gallery Media Group was new, but there were other um, elements and publishers within it that weren't new. Like for example, like a Pure Wow, which was the women's lifestyle uh, publisher that already existed. Gallery was created to include Pure Wow, one thirty seven p.m. 
all the different social handles and podcasts that they owned and operated. And what did you do there? Uh, brand partnerships, so advertising, sales. Yeah. So how many of the relationships, brand partnerships, the relationships for mm. these brand partnerships, mm. did you bring with you from everything you you'd done before that? 100%, 100%? Everything that I could, right? Um, that's the whole, the name of the game is, you know, there's, there's a lot of transition across agencies. So are they bringing you on because Kwame has these relationships? Yeah, they're bringing you on because of the relationships you have. Um, relationships, salesmanship. Yeah, all that stuff. If you're a fit for the team, all those, those cool things. Getting you in there, was it someone within your network that got you the, the interview? Uh, they actually had reached out to me. Okay. First, when I was working for another company, um, and at the time I wanted to make sure I did my due diligence at the company I was I start I was at before, so I didn't want to leave there just because they came knocking on the door immediately. Um, I then wanted to get the hell out of the place that I was at, which was Ozzy Ozzy Media Ozy Media, which is a shit storm. That are they can, still around? Hell no, no, no. That was a, a shit storm, um, and I got out before. Um, all of the craziness that occurred with their founders and all that stuff. Yeah. So we see what's built up to be Kwame Darko. Oh, Darko. Now, where does Darko Wine come into play? Darko Wines comes into play at the beginning of COVID and the pandemic. Like during it. Like, yeah. March 2020, everything shut yep. down. Yep. You and Jane are home. Yep. Naomi's not even born yet. Not born yet. Is Naomi, was she pregnant? Yet? Um, Jane, was she pregnant? I think she was pregnant. At tw she was pregnant. Yeah, she was definitely pregnant it's in 2020. Yeah. All right. So you're home. Everything's shut down. Yeah. And what happens? I mean, it, it gave me and other people an opportunity to like really dive into some of the side passions you know, that we had. So again, my, uh, my good friend and business partner, Daniel Orson, who I mentioned, um, and his wife, Pipa, they had their own brand of wine, Orson Wine. And Daniel and I have wanted to work on something together for a long time, right? Um, timing is just needed to be right. And his bandwidth, you know, has been getting crushed because he's been elevating and is doing his own thing. For Orson. Yes, for, for Orson, but then in hospitality, you know, he runs a, a hospitality group um, as well that he's partnering. Uh, so that takes up a lot of his time for sure. And, you know, I think my career in branding and like sales, you know, was at a place where it was like, Dan, if you can help facilitate us getting the wine together and all those logistics, like I can then handle the rest of it. Like this, it doesn't need to be like when we were kids where it's like, let's like hustle like together on this. It's like you help with one part, I do the rest and like, it just works nicely together. Um, and, you know, it, it worked out well with what started kind of as a test run um, to to use the wine as a vehicle to give back um, specifically to some villages in Ghana, West Africa, where my background is from. My dad's from there. Um, you know, that was fine when we did the small batch and we came out with some high quality wines from Portugal, um, which are fantastic. Speak more on what you're just talking about, because eh? I yeah. you, you, you kind of just glazed over it. Yeah. But you are. You're from Ghana. Yes. Family's from Ghana and you give back every bottle sold. How much goes to gets donated back to Ghana? We have about what, 20% of the proceeds to it. In addition to like just stuff out of my pocket in general, right? And it's all from Portugal. 
Yeah, these ones. For now. Are, for now, right? Yep, for now. Tell me more. What do you mean for now? For now. Um, so, you know, in getting into wine, like, again, yeah. it's starting off as a small batch thing for, for fun, um, but to also give back. But why wine? Why not vodka? Why not scotch? Um, why not uh, mezcal? Why wine? I've always loved wine. And again, this is as a result of, again, my partnership with uh, my good friend Daniel Orson as well. Uh, you know, back in college, you know, he started a company called Urban Vine, which was meant to like take the pretension out of wine. So he and a bunch of our friends we grew up playing soccer with would be drinking wine and like pairing it with like playlists and, you know, on our roof, like hanging out, you know. <laughs> So we were just trying love, to take the I love point, that. right um, at a time where, you know, younger folks, kids in their you know early 20s and teens as well at a point in time, but were drinking, um, you know, they weren't drinking wine. Right. So we were consuming wine and doing cool things with it. And we wanted to take the pretension out of it. And that's when I really got into it. He was the wine guy. Right. He went on to become a sommelier and doing all these fun things and traveling the globe. I was still learning sales, marketing, working on music, uh, but wine had always been a big part of it. And then as more time progressed, um, you know, wanted to get into wine more. And, you know, the goal was never to just come out with the wine, right? I think timing and purpose is a big part of it, right? So, um, you know, the main goal now is to continue sourcing, you know, great wine and grapes from Portugal and other places, black winemakers in the US who I have good relationships with now, but ultimately I think something that's different, unique, and where I can really you know, put a stamp in the game is creating Ghana's first vineyard. So that's kind of where the story has evolved. It started as like a test run to make some money, to do some donating, to see if there was any sort of brand recognition or if people had any you know, kind of need or want for it. And you know, everyone has wines, it, it, it's easy to find wine, right? So the way I saw myself or see myself, you know, continuing in it is through something unique, which is development of Ghana's first sustainable vineyard. And that's how big is Ghana? Ghana, um, for the size, it's it's a it's a it's a relatively big country in 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 Africa, West Africa on the coast. Like as big as the U.S. or is kind of, kind of like the size of like Texas, the size of Florida. Yeah, I'd say like like. Like a little bit like half the US. And so population the, much smaller. Got it. And you've you've gone there yeah. and you've done your research. Yeah. Have you located where you wanna build a vineyard? Yeah. We've um we've sourced lands. This is fucking awesome, by the way. Yeah. Think about what we're right. talking about. <laughs> you are gonna buy land. Yep. And you are gonna build a vineyard yep. in Ghana yep. to make grapes yep. that you're gonna sell wine around the world from grapes that you're gonna grow from a vineyard you're gonna build in Ghana. Yeah, yeah. Have you like stopped and like just said that and like thought about what you just said and the fact that in like two years from now, it's gonna be so much more real than just saying it. Yeah. You're gonna actually be like doing it every single day. Yeah, I mean. It's crazy. You know, the thought is that if there's anybody that could do it, I think it would be me. And we're, you know, there's plenty of other people who could just throw money at something, right? Um, but I'd say who are passionate about it, where it makes sense, can get over some of the hurdles um, as well, like infrastructure, some cultural things, but also the passion to really make it happen. You know, I think it's genuine and authentic with me, right? It's also part of being a D1 soccer player and just being an athlete flat out your whole life 
and the daily practice and being held accountable that comes into play here that just you know that there's not an end goal there's just the work that needs to be done yeah and you're just gonna keep going yeah i mean yeah i mean we did soil testing went to ghana um you know after multiple multiple meetings and and getting logistics who's we you and dan no, this is, you know, Dan, Dan has been focusing on his stuff. Like I told you, like I've taken the, the, the reins, right? Like he's kind of gotten me kickstarted and he's still my partner and, and one of my best friends. Um, but this has definitely turned into like the, the Kwame show of the of Kwame sorts, Darko the show, Kwame Darko show of sorts with, with this, but he's very much still involved in his wife, uh, Pipa as well. Who's really helped with, with everything, um, logistically, um, yeah, so I mean, I, I think that I'm equipped to do it. Um, we did soil testing, multiple meetings. Um, this is with me with different organizations in Ghana. So the GIPC, which is the investment arm in Ghana, um, Demeter, which is the agricultural arm in Ghana. Um, you know, my lawyer who's out in Ghana, um, who's able to get us over some different like hurdles, which is great. Um, and then also like working on like different grants here in the US, right? So like I've we've been submitting for different grants um, to help move things along. There's definitely investment that I can get, you know, um, and what role does the government in Ghana play in this? Well, land, right. Um, land there, they don't just give it away, especially to foreigners. Right. Um, obviously my name is Kwame Opukwari Darko. They know that I'm of Ghanaian descent. My dad is from Ghana. Um, my mom, rest in peace. She's from the U S. Um, but yeah, they don't just give away land so you can lease land for, you know, up to a hundred years. Right. But certain folks can also buy land. Um, so you just have to figure out those different areas and ways in which you can do it. How expensive is landing on it? Um, it or varies. is it like, who is it? Cause depending on who it is, it's how expensive we're going to make it. Yeah, it varies. And they can, you know, people can change their mind and re rejig numbers. And again, that's the whole thing is ownership of land. There's chiefs, um, and families that own land. And then there's the government that owns some land. So, there's times where multiple people have owned land and the paperwork hasn't been correct. And there's just fights and disputes and arguments over that stuff. So these are like a lot of the challenges and hurdles you can come across, right? Mm -hmm. And having the right team and doing things the right way is, is a big part of it. So between finding the land, it's also just communication in terms of getting the right materials and logistical stuff. Again, you have to be on the ground there you know, to really like understand and be able to like make moves throughout. Um, Cause you can speak all you want and, and have all the phone calls, but nothing ever goes right or according to plan in general with anything in, in life here either in the US. So um, yeah, just having multiple calls to figure things out and lots of research. Um, and, you know, I have a whole team, I have a viticulturist, I have a, you know, what is a viticulturist? Um, it's it's the you know grapes, the the harvesting and the oh, agricultural that part of layman's the world. terms. It's the person who the person who knows looks over the, the grapes, looks over the grapes and knows the science. Yeah, the, it's a pre pre sommelier. Exactly. So, um, yeah. So I, I've assembled a, a really great team, um, and you know we're just continuing to to grow. We found the different land. We went there, did the soil testing. Um, and in our findings, since that did it actually, that actually worked and there's, there's land that can be leveraged to create grapes. Like we're going to do more soil testing because maybe there's a few other locations 
that we think we might like even more. And you're gonna buy the land there. Yeah, so it's gonna either buy and or lease it. Um, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's like semantics almost, like depending, like there are, there is land that's available for outright sale. Mm -hmm. but it's so far, far right. and few in between, depending yeah. on who you are and whatever it is, which luckily I have those incentives and know the right people for that. But and then, the network. And the network. And then there's also the land that you can lease as well. So I think we'll do a, a mixture um, of it all. And yeah, so that's, that's, that's where we are now. And the goal is to start planting. Are there other vineyards in Ghana? No. That's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's like, look, it, it's, it's a, cl a climate thing. Like, again, there's hurdles. Like what I learned from my, um, you know, my team is that you can essentially grow grapes anywhere. It's about how you sustain them in the vineyard, how you can sustain it, you know, how, what amount of irrigation needs to go into it, what innovative practices are going into to creating it. So, you know, we're, we're dedicated to, to, to figuring it out and we've, found that there are definitely ways to sustain it and grow it and make it something really big. It's just people haven't wanted to put the time into it. And again, it's, it's tough. There's challenges around, again, just infrastructure, putting the different pieces together and then actually wanting to do it. Right. And I don't think anyone's really put the time into it. So um, what was the for you? What's the biggest, the number one, the biggest driving factor mm -hmm. from wanting to do this? The biggest driving factor, I think, is is legacy, um, bringing, you know, Ghanaian culture to the forefront a bit more, right? You see different menus, you know, across the US and across the world, right? You see the wine list mm -hmm. and it's France, Italy, you know, maybe some Argentina, maybe a South Africa, right? And again, because of my background in marketing sales, you know, brand partnerships, why can't there be a, a Ghana wine on a list? Why? If it's a, a quality wine that I'm able why to create. Not? so. I see it more as like a why not in that capacity, but then also even bigger is the philanthropic pieces to it, right? So we're gonna create a whole new industry in Ghana, right? It's gonna significantly help the GDP instead of importing like as much wine as they do. If you're able to create your own grape wine, which they have an affinity for, like champagne's a big affinity that they have over there, obviously like rosés and you know, chilled reds, whites, whatever. There's, they, they love wine over there, but again, no one's growing it. So they have to go to outer sources, which costs a shit ton yeah. to make. Um, but then again, being able to give back to the community. So starting a new industry there, essentially, giving back to the different rural villages, um, you know, education. You know, during my first trip to Ghana, we gave away school supplies, medical supplies, um, you know, through a, a soccer match where we just gave money away to both villages in the the match. So I think it's just an opportunity to to really give back tremendously and create jobs and at the same time being able to pay homage to my background. And yeah, that's as special as it gets. Yeah. Right. I think so. That's literally it's as special insane. as it gets. Yeah. That you're like part of the one percent. I'm trying. You got a heart of gold. I'm trying. And uh, I'd say probably in like, how long does it take to, you, do you know how long it takes to build? Cause like, yeah. where do you, when do you see this becoming like fully functioning on a yeah. daily basis? I know there's probably mm -hmm. a lot of hoops you need to still jump through. Yeah. But is this like a 20, is 2026 realistic? I'd say 2026, 2027. Right. I mean, on the ground and like day to day could be, you know, as soon as 2024. It's right? amazing. And um, where, speaking of on the ground, yeah. where right now could we find Dark Online? So it's uh, direct to consumer. 
at the moment. So I sell it all um, online um, in tandem with Orson. So if you go to darkowines.com, you can buy it there. Um, there are select places um, where it can be bought in like in, in retail locations or wine bars because we do have like distribution in, in, in New cool. York. So, but we don't make enough where I have to, um, you know, leverage like distributors. I can just go direct yet. to the store. Yet, exactly. So, yet. So there's been a few wine bars where that I love to go to where I'm. It's nice to just bring folks and they get to try my wine because it's there. But for the most part, direct to consumer, um, so that we can also maximize profits to leverage to give back to folks as well. So the the wine, like you know, we sell it in three, six, and twelve. Um, what forty dollar bottles. Um, at the moment, which, you know, making somebody spend. What's the most common purchase? Uh, most common is three. Makes sense. Right. And then most common is definitely three. And then you get, you know, companies and folks like I, I there's people who buy for happy hour or people supporting where they'll buy a case, mm-hmm. several cases, even sales folks as well. Like, because again, I've been in the sales industry where come gifting. Yeah. Time when I saw holidays. it, it just, yeah. it looks like, and I love to, I love to, spend money on friends businesses i love to spend money on clients business i love to spend money on businesses within my network yeah so like when i first saw darko wines i'm like this would be a great closing gift so the next closing that i have fits with you uh you're probably gonna get a case of darko wine love it yeah i love it what uh what are you reading right now what am i reading right now um what am i reading I just finished the what forty eight what the the forty eight laws of power. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? Um, I, I mean, I like it. Lots of good stories and things. Are to you take. My, when it comes to reading? It's, are you business self help? That you go to. It's been. I'm more of a podcast guy. To okay. be honest, um, more of a podcast guy. What's your favorite podcast? Favorite podcast, Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. He's powerful. Yeah, he's great. He he actually got me to go to to work at Gimlet. Like they used him to as the selling point, which was That's fantastic. Which was awesome. Yeah. Um, is there is there any book that you would recommend to anybody? Like a youngin coming out of college, kind of law. Nah, it doesn't even have to be that. Just yeah. anybody. Yeah. Is there any book that you would recommend for someone to read? Um, I like The Alchemist a lot. The story there storyline about the alchemist Love we were that. just talking about the alchemist. yeah yeah nice. i think rob's reading that right now nice yeah was it once was it one's personal um was it it's not his personal journey whatever they called it in the in the book i forget whatever it is it's, i don't know but yeah. now this is the second time i'm third time i'm hearing read the alchemist yeah second time in the last hour yeah so i gotta put it on the list i'm fully just gonna put it on the list and now yeah. i actually have to read it yeah no it's it's it, it, it definitely yeah it speaks to it speaks to yeah people's journeys right it's like you think there's like an end goal right and you think that you want something but you're actually living it as you're going along in the process right so it's it's, it's great amazing what uh what does the next six months look like for you next six months um you know gonna go to portugal with uh the family uh for a few months so the entire family we're gonna go there you know just have a different lifestyle for a bit and, and hang and, and, and drink a lot there, of wine, drink a lot of wine, right. Visit some of the vineyards, um, where this is sourced from. And then, um, you know, during that process, you know, still do some consulting work for sure. And, you know, working on some funding, as I mentioned, we're, we're working on a few different grants, um, putting together a, uh, potentially bigger investment, 
plan as well for where we see this going once we've already locked in a few different things. Um, but the next six months, you know, I see early 2024, there being tremendous progress in terms of like having started planting, right? Versus just having like the land and knowing what's possible um, and connecting with the right folks. So it's very much a reality. We have a lot of folks in Ghana uh, behind us, you know, from the different like investment um, firms and agricultural firms. And um, are you looking for additional private investment? I think at some point it'll, you know, at this point, it's just like you want it to be the 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 right folks as well. Okay. Um, but definitely, I, I think definitely we're gonna. So like if a wine that. enthusiast or let's say someone who's from mm. from of of Ghana descent mm. or Ghana is somewhat rooted within their family, yeah. Or we'll go back or a wine enthusiast yeah. who thinks that the marketing behind this yeah. is genius. Yep, the story is genius. Yep. Those are more of the people that you're looking to take investment from, or would you take it from just someone who wants to take a shot on Kwame? Yeah, someone who wants to take a shot, the people who are interested and passionate about it. I think it's it's always, it's the right fit and the right person or company that, you know, shares the same sort of values and, and believes in, in me and what I stand for, but I'm open, you know, open to everything, but I'm also like very selective in terms of like who I would actually like, you know, take money from. It's gotta be the right fit. Cause it's, you know, my name's on it. It's, it's my baby. I, I see, you know, so many different ways where this is gonna help so many different people. Um, I, a big part is somebody who wants to be a part of the philanthropic pieces. That's like by far number one to me is being able to give back, like, right. Um, changing, um, some kids' lives as well. Like that's something I want to make sure I'm able to do um, consistently, right? You know, the next thing we may be doing is just going and grabbing a kid that's you know really good at soccer but doesn't have necessarily the money to to focus on it in Ghana and just you know just start throwing money at their uh, you know money at them to take some of the um, the pressures off of the, the daily lives. So that's kind of that that's definitely what I want to do. So whatever it is, it's going to be rooted in philanthropy and giving back and helping the community and these villages. So that's kind of the, yeah. That's amazing. So to piggyback on that, for me, for Naomi, for Tyson, <laughs> give me one word of advice for anyone trying to make it. I would say everything adds up, right? Um, everything adds up, right? It's, it's never necessarily gonna be one big win. Um, it's all the little things that you do that add up to that next step, um, for sure. Um, again, you may think that something is going against your trajectory or the direction that you want to go, but I, I've learned that you know if you're good enough at something to begin with, and you do good enough in there, you're going to have enough advocates in that realm, and you don't know, you know, the degree of separation you are from one person to the next person. So I think just anything you do, find the positive in it, um, do your best at it because it's little steps, you know, it might be a million little steps before that, you know, huge one. My dude. Yeah. I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah. Call me Darko. Darko wine, soon to be made in Ghana. <laughs> right? Yes, sir. Have a good one.